Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Tulum Bay. Tulum Bay is weak. We need to rebuild. The epic fiction podcast Tulum Bay returns. Have we met before? Oh, yes, General. You have no choice. It has to be done. In the name of God, what have you done? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush, hitting movies with Maddie edition. Matt's back, everyone. We had such a good time talking The Matrix, uh, and everyone was so overcome by our sheer joy. Matt said, let's keep it going with more hit movies, and let's talk about uh, a movie that <laughs> was number 54 that year that The Matrix came out on right. the box office mojo list. Is this another 1999 jam? It is. Wow. Was that accident? Uh, it was. Uh, it came out on October 15th. When did The Matrix come out? Was that a summer? That movie? was, it, it was earlier in the year. I want to say March or May. Wait, I've got it in my notes right here. It was March 3rd, <laughs> 31st. Man, 1999. People are writing books or, uh, about movies of that year. Yeah. Now. It's hard to believe that was 20 years ago. It, um, uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Production budget? Just before we do anything else? For this? Yeah. I got sixty-five million. Yes. Is that what you saw? Sixty-three to sixty-five is what I'm seeing, and it only grossed thirty-seven. Yeah, but then it sold six million DVDs. It did, and uh, it says worldwide gross in theaters over time was a hundred, almost a hundred one million. So, yeah. It, yeah, it broke even, I guess, plus the DVDs. That's nice. Well, let's go ahead and talk about a couple of the the behind the scenes things before we get into it. I guess uh, I read today that David O. Russell was supposed to direct this thing. It was optioned for ten grand. Did you read the book? Uh, no, I did not, unfortunately. I read the book after well, the movie. Well, you're a good man. Eh, not necessarily. <laughs> I was way into this, though. <laughs> and we'll get to that and how much I was into it then and how much I am into it now. But um, David O. Russell, it was brought to him. He didn't understand it, so he passed. Fincher was way into it and saw it as a wake-up call against malaise, uh, but he also felt like he was making a satire. And the quote that I saw from him was, this is as serious about blowing up buildings as The Graduate is about fucking your mom's friend. Wow. And uh, apparently he and Ed Norton had a lot of clashes on the set because Ed Norton thought it was a straight-up comedy. And so they kept having – and while Fincher thought it was – had comedic elements and was a satire, he – they had a lot of disagreements about tone. Interesting. As they were shooting. And they said there were many, many days where – other actors were just wandering around because he and uh, and Fincher, Ed Norton and Fincher, were just debating. 
Wow. Incessantly. Well, it certainly comes off in the tone that they were, you know, not battling a line. I think they found, at least in the edit bay, they found the tone that is this extremely dark, funny, uh, humorous, mm-hmm. uh, uh, many times uh, feel. Yeah. But uh, that's now, funny. Well, now that I know that, though, I'm thinking about some of these scenes with Ed Norton, and he's sort of playing it for comedy more than I ever realized. I, I don't want to jump too far in, uh, but jump the, around when he's fighting himself mm-hmm. in the boss's <laughs> office. Total slapstick, right? Yeah, I mean it is slapstick <laughs> just on the surface in the in the writing of what's happening there, but the way he plays it, uh, the way he plays a lot of that stuff. There's that scene at the end where he's uh, the cops have him on the table, yes, and he steals the gun, and the way he jumps off the table to get up and and threaten the guys is like very comedic and slapsticky. Oh yeah. It's sort of all over the place, and I never really like. I took this movie pretty seriously when I was twenty-eight. Yeah, you know? I was a uh, you were a kid. How it was the you? same year that I saw The Matrix. Yeah, which was what again? You were I was a freshman, so okay in high school. So wow. yeah, I can't imagine being what thirteen. I was fourteen. Fourteen years old and seeing Fight Club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, wasn't I feel like it was to. made for twenty-eight year olds. It, well, no, it, it certainly was uh, made for people who had been in the like nine to five grind for a for little bit, bit sure. right? Uh-huh. Um, and it's weird to watch it now at thirty six, working at this company for thirteen years, right? Uh, I view it a little differently. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this. <laughs> uh, it all was also famously, um, Fincher had no control over the marketing and clashed a lot, apparently, with the marketing group, um, and they said. They told him, we don't know who this movie is for. Men don't want to see Brad Pitt with his shirt off because it makes them feel bad about themselves. And women don't want to see him with a bloody face. So we don't know who to sell this to. That's what the... uh, That's what the marketing geniuses... Yeah, but (laughs) interesting. I wonder wonder how that actually plays through because my my wife is a year younger than... I mean, we're in the same, I guess, grade level, but she's a year younger than me and... She really, really enjoyed this movie when yeah. she was a kid. Oh, interesting. And she, in her high school... I'm trying to imagine a 13-year-old girl liking dude, this movie. Well, I mean, she <laughs> I don't know how to characterize her. But she, was, uh, she, she was really cool and into art and music and like yeah. really cool Advanced. alternative music. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in her high school yearbook, she used a quote about... I believe it's the we are the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. Really? Uh, that yeah, was her like senior quote or something? Yeah, it was that one or <laughs> – I think I did some dumb U2 song. <laughs> it was of the moment. Pretty sure mine was, what bi- was yours? biblically based. Well, <laughs> I think my U2 quote was one of their biblically based songs. <laughs> there you go. I'm not saying I think. I know it was. I just was, I was hoping oh, it would have been so a the same. Jars of Clay <laughs> reference or something. But I was okay. never into that. I will say that. Uh, and it's interesting to look to where this sits in uh, Fincher's career. So he debuted with Alien 3, which is nutso. Yeah. Like that was his first film. Then he made The se- uh, the 7. Then he made 7 in the game before Fight Club. So he had some uh, currency because 7 was a pretty big hit. Yeah. In the game, I don't know how big of a hit it was, but it was pretty well regarded, I think. Is that the Michael Douglas, mm-hmm. the game? Yeah, not wow. bad. Uh, and then after this, he did Panic Room. Okay, Zodiac, masterpiece. But did not make money. Probably, nah, I doubt it. Um, Benjamin Button, which I didn't like that movie then. <laughs> yeah. And I certainly don't think it holds up. Well. Did you like it? I, I remember watching it and not being 
you know, not walking out of the theater. You weren't offended. <laughs> but I was just like, okay. Yeah, what man, happened? it just didn't do it for me. And it's weird for Fincher. It's just not Finchery. Yeah. Uh, and then he did The Social Network, of course, great film. Mm-hmm. The Dragon Tattoo remake, which I thought was good. Mm-hmm. And Gone Girl, which I loved. Yeah, so it was Fincher's. And that's it, man. I mean, he's doing Mindhunter now as a producer, and I think he's directing a couple of those a season. But uh, In my opinion, knocked those out of the park. Yeah, you like it? Yeah, big fan. I'm sort of midway through season two. There you go, man. You gotta wait till you get to the yeah. Eighth, I think the Atlanta monster section. No, it, it's I'm right in the middle of that. Um, I just don't think Mindhunter is. I want more. All I don't care about the side stories. Oh, really? No, I don't care about the guy and his family. And I certainly am oh. kind of mad about this storyline going on this year with his son. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. Well, you it know, just, it bugs me. All I want to see is them interviewing Ed Kemper yeah. <laughs> over and over. Yeah. If he was just a supporting character, they just brought him onto the team to just walk, go with them everywhere and interview Maybe. other people. The Manson stuff was they, cool too. Yeah, obviously. Uh, but you know the connection there to um, oh, I can't. I think of his name, uh, the partner of the guy that John Douglas is based on. He's in Fight Club. Yes. Yes. <laughs> his name was Robert Paulson in Death. Uh huh. A member of Project Mayhem has a name. Yeah, and you know what's funny is one of our old longtime listeners from Stuff You Should Know and Movie Crush. Is Robert Paulson, <laughs> yeah. and he's a uh, he's a location manager and scout in L.A. Whoa! So we've been in touch over the years about a lot of stuff, movie stuff, and I always kid him. You know, his name is Robert Paulson forever, and he's listening to this right now. Oh my God! Well, hey, hey, Robert, <laughs> hope you're doing well. I'm glad they did not uh, do what they did to <laughs> meet your meatloaf version. So this is – it just feels very much, especially watching it now, many years later. I saw it a bunch of times back then. Um, and like I said, I was way into it. But it feels now very much like an end of the millennium movie. Yes. And like a perfect sort of coalescence of time and place and director and writer. Like it all really fit. Oh, man. You're, I, you know? I couldn't agree more. I, especially – and it's so weird that we watched The Matrix or, you know, we did The Matrix and then this one. And uh-huh. It was just a, an idea we had. It had nothing to do with the year or the technology of the time and all that. Yeah. But all those conversations we had about imagining the cell phone um, in The Matrix and the sunglasses and some of the technology. Uh-huh. And then thinking about the way technology is represented in this movie. Mm-hmm. Things like Star 69 is is in this movie. Oh, is it? Um, oh, yeah. And, and I was thinking – I. Do we have to explain what Star 69 is to people? We might as well. I mean, I think movie crushers are pretty savvy, but yeah, go ahead. So, okay. Okay, everybody listening. Um, explain about back in the day. <laughs> so on on your old landline generally, and, and then even with cell phones for a time there, uh-huh. for mobile phones, yeah, you didn't have a thing that told you who was calling. It was just- Caller ID. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. phone would just ring mm-hmm. and you'd pick it up right. and you'd say, hello. Remember that surprise? <laughs> yeah. Who could it be? <laughs> my, I, I had a neighbor in uh, a friend of mine who lived in my neighborhood. His father would make fun of me just consistently because I would call the number to talk to my friend. The father <laughs> would pick up the home landline, the only phone in their entire house, mm-hmm. and he would say, hello. And I would say, <laughs> hello, this is Matt Frederick. And he says, hello, this is just a second. And he always made fun of me because I would always announce myself. Yeah, that's cute. Because <laughs> you're a good kid. Nobody knows who you are in that situation. Yeah. So Star 69 was uh, if you could – if someone called and hung up or something, yeah. you could then pick up your phone, dial Star 69 
And would it call it back? Yeah, it would call the last number okay, that connected right. to your phone. I never really used it. Yeah, um, yeah it would call the last thing back. Yeah. That was, those are also the days of like, uh, oh, shit, I got a call waiting. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's yeah. calling. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's There's another thing that shows up in this movie uh, pretty heavily before we like get into chronologically some of the stuff here. Sure. Um, but CRT monitors, I, there are probably some people – uh, who haven't really interacted with CRT monitors very much. Who are Which was, that was just the, those big, huge green computer monitors, right? Yeah, they used a completely different technology to display stuff yeah. on a screen where yeah. it was using this weird, <laughs> I was going to say particle gun, but uh, it's a very <laughs> different way to display things than uh, liquid crystals. Right. And thank God for liquid crystals. Or retina displays. Because I watched this movie on my laptop, something that you could not have done back then. That's right. Because they didn't have laptops. That's right. <laughs> when was the first laptop? I think that was pre-20 years ago, but they were just yeah. these huge CRT behemoths. Yeah. But this is the technology that existed, this yeah. kind of stuff, as we're moving to this new millennium, I like know, you're talking about. it's crazy. Like, because Fight Club seemed so, um, not futuristic like The Matrix, but... Just so like it feels modern, modern, and it now it feels dated. Yeah, because I guess it's twenty years on, you know. Yeah, dude. Oh, but the, the camera stuff though certainly holds up. Oh my god! Some um, of the... all that stuff he was doing with the and uh, what was he doing there? Do you know that wasn't CG, was it? In when the camera's flying around, like uh, through pipes and up through the stove and all around, and like how was he doing that? Some of that is. CG, I think. Oh, I mean, it? I don't. I, I don't know. I didn't uh, watch a behind the scenes thing in preparation for this or anything. Right. But I, I could tell there are a couple places. If you think about the first thing you see in this movie, the gun sights. It's but well, you start off as the credits or the titles are coming off. With yeah, the people, you're inside a brain essentially. Right. Those are like synapses firing and stuff, right? But all that's CG, right? Uh huh. And you're just pulling through all this stuff for a mm -hmm. long time through all this CG. Then finally, you get that CG gun barrel as the camera is going across. It, it. was great. Holds and, up. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think. At least it feels that way. Maybe somebody correct us. Maybe that was all done practically and no, I just don't I know how they did CG, it. No, I think it was CG because if I'm not mistaken, I used to own this on DVD and had the – and like really dove into the making of and the behind the scenes stuff. I really love this movie back in the day, Matt. Dude, <laughs> my wife is the same way. It, we, was, it was speaking to me. Like, I'm, I'm so interested in where you were. How old did you say you were? You were like 28? Well, I was, I was 28 and it wasn't speaking to me in the uh, like – and, and we'll talk about all the problematic stuff now, but, like, I didn't want to be in a fight club. Yeah. But it did sort of ding me as a bit of a wake-up call. I wasn't in the system, in the corporate system or anything, but this made me not want to be in it even more. Yes. And it made me want to issue consumer culture a bit more and uh, think, you know, you are not your car. You are not your fucking slacks. Or, yeah. you know, your, your khakis. Your khakis. <laughs> a great line. And all the lines, I mean, this is all Chuck, uh, how do you pronounce his name anyway? Oh, the uh, Polaniuk. Uh, I've never known exactly yeah, how to say it, <laughs> but this is all straight from the book. Like mm -hmm. every bit of juicy choice dialogue, every great line was from his brain. Yeah, and there's so many. I was so I've got a notes. You know, <laughs> I, I make just within my my Apple computer. I make notes when I'm taking this, and I try and transcribe. You know, seventy five percent of something that I really really like. Yeah, yeah, and. 
my wife was getting so pissed at me last night. Because you would have to pause. Because, well, I would pause for a second. <laughs> She's like, this is my fucking movie, man. I know, and it's in one of those great monologues uh, yeah. that generally Tyler Durden would give. Right. Uh, or sometimes a narrator. Or, it's, it's funny to – it's even kind of weird to talk about the movie. I know, right. Because um, he doesn't have a name. Yeah, he is narrator. Or Jack, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Jack's uh, amygdala or whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, – Oh God, yeah. I I've I transcribed a whole bunch of stuff, and at some point in here, I've got a note that says Chuck and Matt should recite a scene. Okay. So uh, I don't know. We'll we'll get to that later. We can, we can do that. <laughs> okay. I don't mind. I got a lot of my favorite lines. Okay. We used to read pornography. Now it's the Horchow collection. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first one I have on my list. Oh man. Uh, but this was shot by Jordan Cronenweth, and I have a. Uh, I have a bit of a story here, Matt. Okay. Uh, Jordan Cronenweth has a brother uh, named Tim. Okay. Who came to Atlanta to shoot a TV commercial from L.A. I worked on this TV commercial as a PA. Tim's sister, Christy, was uh, on the job. And we ended up doing a little hugging and a kissing oh. while she was in town from L.A. And that developed into a very, very short, brief whirlwind romance to where I went out to L.A. a couple of times. Wow. And, like, I was debating on moving to L.A., and she was sort of like the the straw where I was like, I'm definitely moving to L.A. now because I thought I had this, like, great new girlfriend. She, and geez, I hope if someone knows her and, like, tells her about this, she probably forgot all about me, I'm sure. But she goes on a cruise uh, with her mom sort of in the middle of this long-distance thing that was brand new. And uh, comes back from the cruise and has a boyfriend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Broke my heart. And uh, I made a short film about it. You can uh, look it up uh, on YouTube called Technical Knockout. Whoa. Uh, I don't think – it's probably pretty hard to find. And the last time I saw, like, YouTube, the the it looks so shitty now the last time I looked at it because it was from the earliest days of YouTube. Yeah. And, like, all their stuff is different now or whatever, their compression or whatever. So it doesn't look good anymore, but it looked okay for the so, time. So if I was going to search for it, search terms would be technical knockout, Chuck or uh, Charles maybe. Bryant? Or Probably. I mean, did shit, you have a, did you have a production you have company? Out? Yeah. Uh, I think I called myself Mud Pie Pictures back in the day. Ooh. Uh, let me see here. Well, while you're looking for it, just let me finish up. So yeah. Christy uh, – oh, wow. That's one of the first things that came out. Came up when I typed it. I must have looked at it recently. I'm not seeing it. I post I posted it not too long ago on the uh, Movie Crush page. Yeah, it's really hard to find now. That's probably good. So anyway, my dumb little heart was broken because I was young and stupid and thought, you know, this whirlwind romance was like the big thing. And uh, needless to say, I moved to L.A. anyway. And uh, I think we kept in touch a little bit after that, but not really. So her dad, all right, I got this wrong. Her brother is Jeff. That's who shot it. Okay. And her other brother was Tim who did the commercial. Her dad was Jordan who shot a little movie called Blade Runner. Whoa. And was a huge, huge DP. And um, so she was telling me all these stories about going to the Blade Runner set and growing up in Malibu and hanging, going to high school with like fucking uh, Rob Lowe and the Estevezes and all this stuff and Sean Penn. And she's like, Malibu was different back then. It was just this little small town. It wasn't all movie starry. And so – 
you know me, stars are in my eyes in a big, big way. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, it never it never happened. But she is in this movie. She has a very small part. Uh, the part at near the beginning, about 20 minutes in, where he's going to the airport and he goes to a ticket agent and she's like, she has one line. Yeah. Uh, that's her. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. So um, it, it, everything worked out great because I moved to L.A. and that's where Emily and I became good friends and then started hugging and kissing. And then and made now, a, uh, a business where yeah. your your <laughs> now spouse yeah. makes soap. Then uh, Yes, exactly. And she always gets kidded about Fight Club. To this day, people walk into Emily's shop and say, is this made from the soap from ladies' asses <laughs> or from the uh, fat from ladies' asses? And she's like – I'm really tired of hearing that. <laughs> I know. Sorry, Emily. Anyway, that's my Corona West story. It all worked out for everyone. I'm sure she's doing great uh, and probably has no memory of any of this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> who knows? You never know. You may get, you know, a, an interesting email in a couple of days here. Uh, I doubt it. So I also have a great meatloaf story uh, what? that is very quick. My friend John, still my really good friend, uh, when he was in L.A. briefly, dated – uh, Meatloaf's uh, wife's assistant, personal assistant. So I hang I hung out at Meatloaf's house a few times. He wasn't there, but like got to know his daughter a little bit, and uh, like you know toured the Meatloaf house. Is it incredible? <laughs> it was cool. It's like a colonial, uh, but it, you know it had like all this memorabilia and gold records, and it was cool. Wow. So anyway, those are my two brushes with fame from this film. He, by the way, in this movie, he's great. is fantastic. Yeah, as Bob. Oh, my gosh. He's so good. I mean, not only is he f- so physically transformed just from the character that he's playing, but yeah. he he commits so fully to that character. Yeah, and he's the one, he's the character that really gets it all going because at the beginning of the film, Ed Norton is going to these support groups Becomes yep. addicted to these groups, which I think is a really interesting thing to explore. Because of Bob. Because of Bob. And Bob's the one who kind of gets him going on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like he's the key piece. <laughs> he really is. That uh, it's, it's a scene I forgot about. Again, we're going to jump around a lot. I know that kind of happens on the show. Yeah, and I, I love going through it a little more chronologically. But the scene where Project Mayhem is, a, is officially on. Yeah. And they're at that house and on Paper Street. You mean where they become a terrorist organization? Yeah. And not just a fight it's, club? It's no longer homework <laughs> yeah. in sealed envelopes. It is now guys showing up where, with one, uh, two black shirts, yeah. uh, two black socks. $300 personal burial money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the first recruit gets in uh, and a couple others maybe get through, but then Bob is standing there. Yeah. And Tyler Durden comes out and is like, you're too old, fatty. Get out of here. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, all right. And he just he starts walking down. And then uh, the narrator's like, oh, you see, you don't hear anything, but you see the narrator go to him and say, yeah. ostensibly, like, no, Bob, it's okay. It's part of the thing. Just it's come part back. of the test. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they called him Meat, too, by the way. Uh, that's what, how you're supposed to refer to him. But Meat mm-hmm. was great. Meat? Really? Mm-hmm. He's like, call me Meat. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> I know. I mean, oh, what would God. you think? You'd think he just used his real name in real life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They said to call him Meat. That was my understanding. Oh, man. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock. He constantly bricks threes. And he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. 
No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of the last podcast on the left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy! But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. All the acting's great. I mean, Brad Pitt is great. Ed Norton's awesome. And uh, Helena Bonham Carter is fucking awesome. Yes. She, like, steals this movie in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah. As Marla. She does. She is, in a lot of ways, or she functions at least as a clear vision of what is occurring within the narrator's mind as her her perspective at least. Whether we – we don't realize it, especially uh-huh. on your first viewing. This movie is – you are so rewarded the second time you start this movie up. Especially yeah. if it's soon after you watched it the first time. Yeah. Because it is – it does create a nice circle, uh-huh. right? And then you see the whole movie with new eyes, right? Oh, for sure. And when you look at – when you look at – let's say, the narrator sitting on, uh, at that Paper Street house. Um, Which they built, by the way, dude, for this. Awesome set. Yeah. Uh, but he's sitting there in the kitchen, and he's just eating something and talking to Marla mm-hmm. while we're walking around. The way she reacts to him and the <clears throat> words he says, Yeah, uh, you can see it in her eyes. You can see it uh, in just in her performance, in the words that she responds with, mm-hmm. exactly what's going on. If If you're... If you're really listening, you can read the entire movie through through her perspective, I think. Yeah, because the reality is, is she's in a relationship with a really fucked up guy yeah. who treats her like shit part of the time and is normal part of the time. Yes. And she says that at the end of the movie, you know, in the whole spill the beans segment. But uh, yeah, I mean, she's – and it's weird to, to see this movie as a 48-year-old because all I can think of is poor Marla. Yeah. Oh, and back yeah. then, I didn't really think about it that much. Yeah. But in, you know, and I guess that kind of takes us to one of the problems with this movie is like the the number of female characters with important roles is uh, one. One. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that important role doesn't even get expanded very much. I mean, a little yeah. bit, but. I mean, that's how it was written in the book. Yeah. Um, well, and it's also about the larger themes that this movie is trying to, to tackle. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know, you know, I'm. Not a film theorist, but I would say it's largely about a perceived emasculation of mm-hmm. the American male. Um, it, it has certainly and, been co-opted for that. Well, I mean, if it's, that wasn't its original purpose, dude, it's. I mean, it's right on the face with a lot of this. No, stuff. it is. And, and and there, there's an anger. There's a level of anger at women, I think, or at least uh, discontent. Yeah. With um, mon- monogamous heterosexual relationships yeah. there seems to be like a real uh i don't know it's not and it's not anti that necessarily no it is i mean again it's a lot of the writing like you said it's complicated i mean there is the one line where uh tyler says we're a generation of men there he's in the tub and they're having the conversation about their parents and ed norton is talking about how his dad left and tyler is talking about 
how his dad said, you know, do this, now go to college, now get married. And yeah. Ed Norton's kind of nodding like, yeah, same here. Obviously, same guy. Yeah. But uh, he says at that point, we're a generation of men raised by women. I'm wondering if another woman is really the answer we need. Yes. And oh, yes. I rewound it a couple of times, and inflection is really key in that line because he could be saying, I'm wondering if another woman is really the answer we need or like really the answer we need. It's all in how he says it. Yeah. And he says it in sort of a between way where I'm not even quite sure what he means. Yeah. You it, know? It certainly feels like, I don't know, it, it feels to me in the way I read it was we don't need a, another woman. There's no reason to have another woman. It, it certainly but, comes across that way. But in the end, we realize that that is indeed what the narrator wanted or needed yeah. um, in Marla right. to have a true connection to another person. Right? Like that's – he was missing a true close connection to anybody yeah. in his life and he finally achieved that at the end. Yeah. I mean it weirdly becomes this little love story at the end because the last – you know, I think the, the Reddit dudes stop this movie 20 minutes from the end every time they watch it because the last 20 minutes of this film, he's trying to undo everything he's done. Yeah. And you kind of forget that. Like once he learns what's happening, he's going to the cops. He's trying to stop it. He's trying to find Marla. Mm-hmm. And like that doesn't fit the narrative of the of how this movie has been co-opted by the men's rights movement. Yeah. Oh, you're right. But it's still a, a crazy abusive relationship that he's in no matter what, right? Yeah. That, that would require so much healing for both people in that relationship if it was going to continue to move on. Right. It's like – it's a, bl- a bit mind-boggling, but um, but you're 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 totally right. It, there is a redemption there that that is occurring with lots and lots of an attempted roadblocks. redemption at yeah. least. Yeah, <laughs> but also at the end, you know, he like it's certainly not a feminist film. <laughs> no, because at the end he says, you know, I met you at a very strange time in my life, and they hold hands, and it's all sweet while the buildings come down. Like what she should be saying is. Fuck you, yeah. man. Well, she does. Like, I am so out of here. That great scene right at, right before the end, uh, right before the big turn when he goes yeah. to the cops when I think they're in the diner or something. Yeah, true. Um, and she's just like, nah, dude, F you. Yeah. I'm getting out of here. And uh, But again, he's uh, like, he does the thing where he doesn't want to see where she's going, just gives her a bunch of money and just says, just get out of here, leave. I don't, you know. Right, because he's trying to save her. Yeah. Oh, man. It's a mixed bag. It's certainly – seeing this movie 20 years on is, was a much different experience for me. Yeah. Because I was into the – like I said, I was into the anti-consumerism angle. And, and this movie sort of starts innocently enough like that, um, railing against things like Ikea and getting that job and having that status. And I'm all down with that. Uh, but then it becomes something else. Then they become a terrorist organization. Yeah. Like it gets so out of hand. Well, but I didn't see it as out of hand back then. I was like, yeah, man, fucking anarchy. Well, yeah. Fight the man. Bring down the banks. That's a – that is – oh, my God. So that version of you was me when I was guest producer Matt back in the day on Stuff You Should Know. And I was like writing you all those like insanely liberal things uh-huh. uh, like all the time on social media and like just talking <laughs> – remember like that version of me? Sure. Is, that is – that was my stage. Right. In my like mid – late 20s uh-huh. when I was just like we've got we got to burn this institution laden terrible cesspool to the ground right 
Um, but not really, not literally. Please don't take my words sure. literally in that way. It's just, I, I just meant we have to reform so much because everything is broken, that feeling. Right. Um, and, and now? And now... <laughs> um, you got to work within the system to make small changes in order to make big, as Obama would say, he said, you got to steer that that mammoth cruise liner two inches in the right direction so in... 20 years, it ends up in a very different place. That is a very inspiring thing to say. You know? I agree, I would agree. I'm a, I'm a little more pessimistic, unfortunately, really? in my later days about the whole thing. <laughs> and not not in like a, you got to burn the thing to the ground. It's more like, eh, it doesn't matter. Um, anyway. That, <laughs> no, trust me. Okay. Does any of it matter, Matt? That's the question. <laughs> I know. But it, uh, a, lot, a lot of this goes back to, uh, I was trying to find... I was trying to really understand the primary motivation for that disconnection, you know, the insomnia that he that our narrator is yeah. experiencing and I all that. I couldn't cry, so I couldn't sleep. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and and he's again, he's like not pursuing relationships with anyone, but he's saying it's almost impossible to have these relationships now, mm -hmm. especially in the nature of his job where he's traveling all the time. Mm -hmm. What does he call them? Single uh, serving friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he tries to explain, <laughs> this is one of my favorite scenes when he tries to explain it. Yes. He's in, like, you see, I have this thing and he's like, oh no, I get it. No, it's exactly. very clever. How's that working out for you? Dude. Being clever. <laughs> Dude. But in that same, I think it's that same scene where he's having, he starts that conversation with the person sitting next to him is in the plane, um, and it's it's this woman that he's explaining to her oh, the yeah. nature of his job. Yeah, the recall specialist. The mathematics of it. Yeah, I still fully get chills up my spine when I see that because I'm sure that's how it works. And uh, yeah, and he's just explaining like if if it costs more for us to do an, a recall than it does to fight a couple of you know right. a handful or however many hundred or sell accidents. Out of court. Uh -huh. Yeah. Then we just don't do the recall. Yeah. She's like, who, do, which company do you work for? Yeah. She's just like. A major one. <laughs> <laughs> and they just. She's like, and how often does this, do these crashes happen? He's like, more than you would, more than yeah. you know, or something like that. You wouldn't believe. Yeah, you wouldn't believe. Whatever he says. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I that had such an impact on me at the time. And, and that part still does. Uh, I love how he calls Marla tourist, too. You big tourist. You're just a tourist. <laughs> Dude. She's always one step ahead of him though. Like she's the I mean, she's she's fucked up in her as a character, uh, because she's like stealing meals on wheels and yeah. she's gaming the system, but she's sort of one step ahead of everybody. Like he's always the one chasing her, you know? Exactly. Dude. Well, it it's weird because I their their relationship goes through some of these very odd things because I think about the death threat that or the suicide threat that mm -hmm. she gives to get him over or, or yes. to – I mean I guess I mean, I'm assuming that's a way to get uh, the narrator slash Tyler to, sure. to her house yeah, and, yeah. and it works. And then also the call about uh, she needs someone to inspect her, yeah. right, for, for cancer. Uh, breast cancer, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, so – but God, I'm going I'm to get lost in this movie a little bit because I – I end up uh, latching on to some of the weird, the metaphysical moments when Tyler and the narrator shouldn't be able to be doing what they're doing at the same time in my mind. Yeah. And, but they still explain it pretty well and they give you that fantastic montage at the end 
where, you know, you get to see the security cam footage of just the narrator fighting, but then the the film action sequence of Tyler and the narrator fighting. Yeah. See, here's my thing is I didn't like that as much this time. Yeah. I think I loved it at the time, but today I was like, you know, I don't know if you need all that. Yeah. It was that Scooby-Doo moment at the end where Brad Pitt ex- fully explains everything. Yeah. Like, no, that was me all along. That was me. That was me doing – or that, that was you all along. That was you yeah. doing this. That was you. Mm-hmm. And when I – it blew my mind right out of the fucking back of my head when I saw it. Yeah. Back then. But now it's like, I don't know if you needed all that stuff. And then I started really second-guessing, like – all the things like he shot himself through the cheek, yet Tyler is shot through the head. Yeah, I don't know. I started. I, 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 maybe I overthought it for the first time today. I, there were there are a lot more details there than, and, and I, you know what? It, it is overanalyzation because if you're in the moment and you're watching the movie, yeah, and you're you're not even thinking about them being the same person in the beginning, it doesn't even phase you. Mm-hmm. Um, on the second viewing. You probably notice it this time, but Second but, but is now a lot of fun. I've seen this movie so many times at this point, right? That there there are little moments now that I've just never caught before because I'm already on yeah. autopilot watching the movie, kind of because right. I know what's coming and I know the beats and I feel it and I'm excited that they're coming. But yeah, I'm looking at the periphery of the screen sometimes of yeah. the frame. What did you and catch this time? Anything like brand new? There were there are a whole bunch in here. Oh, man, I've got too many notes now. I'm never going to be able to find it. Um, <laughs> well, there's so many hints throughout the film about uh, the fact that he is one and the same. And I believe and – and I marked a bunch of them here. I think the first one is uh, we have the exact same briefcase on yeah. the plane. Yeah. Which is where they first meet. Yes. Well, actually, I, I don't want to – uh, I don't want to disprove you or anything right here. But I, I, did you write down the first thing that's said by our narr- narrator? In the movie? Oh, you mean the very beginning? The very uh, first the thing end? you see, but at, that's at the end. Uh, what does he say? People are always asking me if I know Tyler Durden. Right. Um, and then all, very soon after that, mm-hmm. he says, I know this because Tyler knows this. Right. And that is the they literally hint. tell you at the very beginning, but, but like 75% of the way they tell you. Yeah. Which is which was so fascinating to me. It was. And also, uh, I mean, that's sort of the playful, not comedic, but playful aspect of the film, looking at it a second time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that if you can craft a movie where it bears the second viewing, like where people leave and like, oh, man, I got to see that again, because then you got to watch it through different eyes. Like, you've really achieved something. Oh, yeah. And it's, all, and it's also a bit of, you know, it's a bit of a sleight of hand with getting more money out of someone's pocket. Oh, my God. But why, this is a movie you got to see twice unless you just hated it the first time. Why didn't more people see this in the theater? Yeah. I, I, because I think I'm pretty sure I saw, I saw it twice at least. I, I saw think. it twice in the theater. Yeah. And, I, I mean, it feels like if they had, what do we say, whatever it was, 30-something million dollars uh, in the U.S. Yeah. in ticket sales. It's not much. I mean, how many times – well, I don't know. Maybe that's true. I wonder how many times people saw The Matrix. It was probably I, – I think I saw it like three times. Well, I mean, Fight Club was regarded as a as a bomb yeah. by the studio until it cleaned up, you know, with uh, DVDs as cult film status. That's why the DVD was so popular, though. Because yeah. you can just watch it over and over and play the scene again and be you like, have your Whoa. bros over. <laughs> watch Fight Club. 
Jeez. And then play like, uh, you know, thump each other's knuckles. That's That was my version of Fight Club. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. That's uh, hard. I've never been hit in the face and I've never hit anybody. That's what I, this is what I wanted to get into. Never been in a fight in my life. Me neither. Really? Yeah. Good for you, dude. Dude, I was bullied like crazy in middle school. I was not bullied. I never had the opportunity to get in a fight. So it's not like I was some Gandhi who would walk away from a fight. Like, I don't know. I just tried to get people to like me from the beginning. <laughs> well, see, well, that that's really good. Uh, you learned to be funny and likable, Chuck. I learned how to play Magic the Gathering. <laughs> and it didn't help anything. It didn't help anything. I love neither one of us has ever been in a fight. Maybe we should fight each other. Well, I think that would be the worst fight ever. <laughs> I could never. Oh, are you okay? Are you okay? That's all we would ask each other. <laughs> well, my... <laughs> but that, you're so right. The, the thing about it is it does make me. I, I've, it's so weird. I have this thing. Okay, I'm going to get really real with you for here. All right. For a moment. Um, I have this thing where I have always wanted to be in a fight. Okay. Because I want to know how it feels. I want to know how my body would react. I want to know mm-hmm. how my mind would react. Mm-hmm. And I'm entirely too uh, into like MMA and fighting like that. Not me actually physically doing yeah. it, but the concept of – uh, two person, two persons, gladiator style, getting into an enclosed space yeah. and just having to use their will to uh, prevail. Well, it's the most. It's the original sport. It's the most primordial uh, thing. Is is a uh, two people in combat with one another with their fists? Yeah, and well, and that's what this movie, you know, this story is really getting at. Mm-hmm. That most people walking around in the world today, you know, in 1999, have never been in a physical altercation or at least one with any real stakes. Right. And wanting for some reason, viewing that as the key to unlocking whatever it is inside of all of us Mm -hmm. that is powerful, but not necessarily – just alive, I think. Yeah, it, because it's not well. It's not about being physically power powerful, even though that is achieved. They talk about in the movie like you're uh, within a couple of weeks, you're you're chiseled, cut, from wood, cut from wood or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's it's the thing that Tyler always is trying to get, like through the chemical burn on the hand of like losing everything. Yeah. So that you can do anything. Yeah, I mean, there is something to some of this, uh, but it. I don't know. It feels so like wrapped in a just sort of a base way of thinking about things. Like there's only one way to think about it in this movie, which is uh, you're not alive unless you have – unless you're living like me. Yeah. You've hit absolute rock bottom and, yeah. and you are, are this person whose dad abandoned Like unless you're doing and, it this way, then yeah. you're, you're just asleep, man. Yeah. And that's bullshit. Yeah. And at 48, I see that clearly. Like the scene where they uh, – the scene where, where they take the convenience store worker oh my God. out back. I think when I saw that at 28, I was like, yeah, man, that guy's never going to feel more alive. And now I'm thinking, this poor guy has this job. Not because what, that's what he aspired to do. It's because he's trying to put food on the table. Now he's got fucking PTSD. Yeah. On top of that. Like you just made his life worse, dude. You did not save anybody. It it felt it felt different this time, like you said. That's uh, that's what I would say. Especially you know, especially that it's um, 
I don't know, man. It's a this whole movie is a bunch of largely a bunch of white dudes. Yeah, exerting their will. Yeah, and, and saying this is the way. Yeah, um, but again, we're in 2019. It's by the way, almost exactly 20 years since this movie came out. Yeah. While we're while we're in here, like ten days away or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's they didn't have the words toxic masculinity back then to say what this is, mm-hmm. but that's really what it is. Like, while it doesn't happen in the film, imagine if a woman came to Paper Street with all those men there. Like, there's no way she would have been treated with and afforded any kind of respect. Well, I mean, Marla did, and she did not get any respect. Right. Well, I mean, in addition but, to Marla, yeah, but, but yeah, sure. But yeah, I mean, we we see a pretty. Heavy example there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's there, – there are a lot of rough things to this. I know. And, and I hope people listening out there don't think that we – I mean, we, we're talking about it. We It's not that it, we're blind to the problems with this movie. No, they're all over the place. But I don't think that – that means we can't still enjoy it for the other reasons because there are problems with this yeah, movie. Yeah, I still appreciate it for a film and I think – it's okay for a film to make someone uncomfortable, and that's one of the things I love about movies is it, it doesn't always have to be something you agree with yeah. to elicit a reaction. Like I love movies that can push a button and make you angry yes, uh, and make you see things differently 20 years on. It's like reading a book. You know, I read The Catcher in the Rye like every five years since I was 15 and as an experiment, and it's different every time the older I get. Uh, that's and awesome. It's, it's just kind of the same thing with movies like this. Like, it's okay to, at one point in your life, to think this was the end-all, be-all, and God, I thought the message was so badass. And then later on being kind of like, it's kind of bullshit. Yeah. Still a great achievement. Yeah. Very well-made film. Oh, man. I love – again, it's it's uh, Fincher's style a lot of the time. It yeah. feels the – the on the screen, if you're just – if you're just looking at it for color and contrast, he's – He's so good, you know, working with his DP mm-hmm. just to get that. Um, he has a style about him, and it's really evident in Seven and in this movie. Mm-hmm. All and, of them, uh, Gone Girl. Yeah, almost um, for for the '90s movies. For me, it's about it's about this gritty nature of everything has like a filth to it. Yeah, like, man, uh, this is this movie is so dank and like yeah. wet. Yeah. Like everything feels moist. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for people who are triggered by that word, but especially once they get to Paper Street. I mean, that's one of the plot points is like the basement's full, always full of water. Yeah. But the whole thing, like it just feels like there's mold growing on his movies. Yeah. Oh, God. And, you know? But it, it's a texture thing, though, too. It makes it makes the uh, the extreme blacks on screen feel uh-huh. more uh, nuanced, right? It, yeah. Like there's more going on there than just darkness. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, know it's I think a he's symbolic. one of the great directors. He apparently is not a lot of fun on set. I've heard some horror stories about him, like fucking throwing you know twenty thousand dollar cameras against a wall and stuff like that. I don't know if it's true, but um, supposedly I can imagine a hothead. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is interesting though to look at some of the messages that do still resonate. Because I'm not throwing out this whole movie. Because when I hear a line like "the things you own end up owning you," yeah. At 48, I'm like, I know that now more than ever. Oh, my gosh, yeah. You know? And Well, you know, and, okay, so let's go back to um, same same guy that was there, a freshman in high school, mm-hmm. <laughs> same kid. Um, you know, that concept was very spiritual to me of the things that you own. So, like, the things of this world are not yeah. of any import. 
And I really, truly felt that way. Those are Jesus's words. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they really are. And then he, you know, Tyler's biggest problem is with this, uh, the world of material that we're so obsessed with that we've created a cult around. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that we nest with Ikea and, and it yeah. is our, our identity are the things. And uh, that, that's why you get to the, the scene where Project Mayhem is in full swing and you get, listen up, maggots. You are not special. You are not beautiful <laughs> yeah. or unique snowflakes. You are the same decaying organic matter as everything else. We are the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. We are all part of the same compost heap. Yeah. And uh, the loudspeaker over and over, brainwashing. Brainwashing. Yeah. So, Chuck. Yeah. Would you, um, do you think you've ever been in a cult before? Because <laughs> I grew up Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're getting at? I'm just getting at, I feel like maybe we escaped. Maybe. Um, uh, yeah, man. I mean, the, I think it's a great film because I can. It, it it still is confounding in uh, in a lot of ways. It's not black and white because I can look at certain certain things of it and still get get something out of it, and other parts of it I just roll my eyes at now. Yeah, and think it's just a bunch of crap. Yeah. Uh, this, but it's interesting to think of it in terms like this is an audience member watching a movie. Like think about the character of of Jack. Uh, being so disgusted and lost within himself that he creates this other identity to kill off the self. Yeah. Like when he's walking around and it's the Ikea catalog and he's making fun of everything, like he's making fun of himself. Like he's becoming Tyler even before Tyler's there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it's interesting to to kind of unpack that. Yeah, and then through insomnia he gets there. Like, is that what it is? The, is he mentally ill? Well, he goes to the doctor, right? Um, it's early on in the movie. Yeah, when he wants uh, pills. Yeah, and um, the doctor's like, no, you can't die from insomnia. He's like, what uh, he, about? He's the one that actually gets him to the support groups. Exactly. Yeah. But that idea, he immediately says, what about narcolepsy? I nod off. I wake up in strange places. I have no idea how I got there. Right. He's like, dude, you need to lighten up. Uh, you need uh, healthy, natural sleep. Choose some valerian root and get some exercise. Right, and go to, go to one of these things. Yeah, uh, but but yeah. So he's he's fully dealing with a break or or you know a, a potential break. Yeah, and needs help, and instead he you know gets this, which is basically like just take care of yourself. Yeah, um, and he does. Yeah, he just does it a little differently. Right. And that's what gets them going, though, on all these uh, support groups, though, which really is what drives the plot forward. Oh, yeah. Dude, I totally forgot. The the whole testi- the testicular cancer thing. Yeah. That's why so, he's there, right? Yeah. But w- when we're getting back to emasculation as, like, one of the major themes in this. Right. Um, the first place he goes is to this meeting with, yeah. uh, who are men dealing with testicular cancer. Yeah. And the guy telling the story right. is about his ex-wife. They couldn't have a baby. Yeah. And it's it's him, and he ends up weeping because his ex-wife is having her first child, a girl, with her new husband. Right. And how happy he would have been. Right. The whole thing is how happy he would have been if it was him. And uh, he's just crying and just, like, so sad. Yeah. And, um, like, holy crap. Okay, so that's one of the main stories you're going to tell us? Right. Right up front? Yeah, I mean, he's basically saying, like, I'm going to throw him in a room with men who have lost their testicles. 
Yeah. Like it's pretty on the nose. <laughs> it's it's pretty crazy, man. I didn't think about that at the time, but yeah, you're well, totally right. Well, then, then Bob's backstory, yeah. which another thing I didn't think about. He was a power lifter. Yeah. Who uh, I won't even say the condition that yeah. they call it, but yeah. yeah, he ended up getting breasts. Yeah. Because of uh, whatever. Diabinol and Wisterol. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but also, he's bankrupt. Yep. He's divorced. And his two kids from his divorced wife won't call him back. Right. It's so, all just emasculation. Of, and family. So it's like how family has failed all of these men, essentially. Right. Both their parents and now the families that they've tried to create. Yeah. and Or at least a lot of them. And now they're looking for something else. And yeah. instead of... Finding a new another woman, the way Tyler says in that scene we referenced earlier, right? They are finding each other, right, and beating the crap out of each other to feel something, to feel something, to feel alive, to shake off that malaise. So that's what this movie's about. It is, <laughs> it is, and it is funny to think about how into this I was for someone who wasn't. I wasn't an anarchist. I didn't want to fight people, but there was something about this that shook me a little bit. You know, and kind of slapped me in the face. I remember leaving this theater feeling sort of invigorated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And not like, oh, let me go out and start a fight with someone, but just like, yeah, I'm a little bit more awake than I was before. Uh, I would agree. But also for me, I mean, and I will admit this, like I – it did make me want to – Get in a fight? But not in a bad way. I wanted it to be the way – they set it up in the movie where Tyler makes them all go out, get into a fight with somebody and lose. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to just – I like that part. I mean, well, me too. And it's – again, like that's where the comedy stuff comes in. Yeah, From the sure. soundtrack to the shots to uh-huh. the Squirting a preacher with a hose. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that part. And the other really comedic part on the thing we are just on is the scene where Marla and, and Jack divide up the uh, yeah. the support groups. Yeah. It's like you take this one. You can't have all of the brain. Like that's a very sort of almost classic, you know, man-woman banter yeah. comedy scene. It really is. But you know what? Here's something else I never read in – or at least I never read in the movie as I was watching it before is Marla – Marla's reaction to traffic in that scene, in that early – Yeah, when she just walks out into traffic. But it's not just once. Mm-hmm. It's – it's as though she's impervious to traffic or something. Yeah. And I started to think, well, maybe Marla isn't actually there. Maybe – and I know this is not part of the Fight Club thing. That he created her too. Yeah. In yeah. my mind, it at least I can imagine if I was watching it for the first time again – actually, no. I wouldn't think of it that way. But upon watching it again, yeah. it feels like, well, maybe she's actually a part of his imagination as well. Like another right. piece of him that he's had to splinter off. That would have been the real mind fuck at the end is if everyone walks in and they're like, you know, it's just me and Marla. And they're like, who's Marla? <laughs> <laughs> That's the sequel. But Brad Pitt says straight out, straight out. You were talking a second ago about um, uh, the the family for everyone yeah. else and for them, for them. I'm saying that for Tyler and Jack mm-hmm. there. And I keep calling him Jack, you know, just for ease of use. But uh, – he says straight up, I'd fight my dad, is the first person he says that he would fight. Yes. He'd go back and fight anyone. And it's really an indictment against fathers in a lot of ways because that's where he's talking about we're a nation of men raised by, mo- by our mothers. Yep. Like our fathers abandoned us and our fathers bailed on us uh, for that generation of men. Setting up franchises. 
Yeah, set in franchises. That's a great line. <laughs> but then that's exactly what Tyler does. He goes around the world, and they reference that again, setting up franchises. Uh, Self-improvement is masturbation. Now, self-destruction, yeah. which is such a like – that's a line that I think really got me back in the day, and now I hear that. I'm like, that's so dumb. Self-improvement is the best. Yes. And that is the only way forward is humans. Dude. You know? <laughs> Dude. Hey, what do you think about the – I remember a theory back in the day, and, and I don't think it's actually a – It's a, I don't think it's an actual reading of the movie. Okay. But he's on the airplane. He's discussed, you know, traveling and all that stuff. He falls asleep and begins to dream about a midair collision. Yeah, that, that – Plane crashing was great. It's in, insane. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, like, how do they get this done? Yeah. Like, how do they shoot this? I don't remember the DVD extras. I've watched all of it yeah. at some point in my life. Sure. But I may have been a little drunk <laughs> back in the day when I was in college, whatever. Uh, but I I don't remember if all of that, like, that's a f- if that's fully a set that with, like, pull-away stuff or was all CGI. But anyway, that occurs, mm-hmm. and then he wakes up in that seat. And I always wondered if there was a reading where that that actually did occur and he just died and the rest of this was like – It was all a dream. You know, there's always (laughs) that reading to be had somewhere in a movie where there's something big that occurs where a main character gets unconscious. I bet there's someone on the internet that has furthered that Mm -hmm. and championed that. Probably figured the whole thing out, man. Yeah, it's on Reddit for (laughs) sure. I keep making fun of Reddit. I'm not on Reddit, so I have no idea what it's like. But Well, I love Reddit. Just putting that out there. No, great. And that's just to appease you, Reddit. Or is it? Do I actually love you? <laughs> I don't know. Why? Because if you say you don't like Reddit, are they going to come after you? I don't know. The, right. the dark web is everywhere, man. I don't know anything about Reddit. So um, I just know that when I was reading up on Fight Club at 20, and there are quite a few articles about this. Yes. Uh, they say that Reddit is where a lot – like is where Tyler Durden has become sort of the face of the men's rights movement. Yeah. That's uh, it's not great. That's no. not great. And Chuck uh, Palahniuk is gay, correct? Oh, I don't know. I think he is. Okay. Which uh, makes this all just a little bit more interesting, I think. Dude. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Couric. I've used my podcast, Next Question, as a platform to explore the big issues we face in these crazy times. And right now, there's no crazier time and no bigger issue than the coronavirus, which is why we're switching gears and pushing our regular reported episodes to the summer. In the meantime, we're going to stay focused on the coronavirus, talking to the experts so you can really understand what's going on. I know it's overwhelming, but we can get through this together. You can listen to Next Question on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. We want you to know that we are here for you. One other thing, uh, there's so much to get into here. I'm just not, I don't want to get away from that at all. It's just... I keep thinking about that mid-air collision scene and the the statement that Tyler has about oxygen masks. Yes. Where the concept there is not that the oxygen is actually to save you from not, you know, smoke yeah. inhalation or whatever it is. It it's to high. make you docile. <laughs> yeah. And accept your fate that yeah. you're going down. Like Hindu cows. Yeah. 
Well, and then you connect that back to the way he feels about stuff in the world and all these things, and it's just all meant to pacify us. And right. everything that we do within the economic system is to consume. We're mm-hmm. we're the all-consuming creatures of this planet. Yeah, and it and it, um, I don't know it. It really, I don't even know where I'm going with this, dude. I, I just know that I sometimes, even now, feel as though I. I really am pretty much a consumer mm-hmm. in my everyday life outside mm-hmm. of, you know, the the joy and fulfillment I get from making shows like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty much just buying things and using things and then throwing things away and then buying new things and using things and it, throwing it, them it away. It can get depressing. And yeah. people do need to check themselves. Yeah. So if that's what you're saying, then good. Yeah. I'm saying like <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a world where that is bad. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily bad on the surface, but it's not really healthy for us or maybe not fulfilling. And maybe fighting, like let's say a martial arts class where you're actually honing your body and getting some kind of spiritual fulfillment out of that or something like that isn't a bad thing. Right. But it doesn't mean we need to beat each other up in a darkened basement owned by Lou. <laughs> oh, man, that scene with Lou. So like, fucked Who up. are you? Yeah. I'm fucking Lou. <laughs> How when he's just bleeding all over him, acting crazy. Yeah. Give me your <laughs> word, Lou. God. You so don't know up. where I've been. So dark. Yeah, and the 1999-ness of it all, like this movie almost is like a hand in a glove with the Matrix, as different as they seem. They're both about being asleep and not being awake in the real world. And I think there was something about the 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 dawn of the millennium that like – People were in a different mindset because of that, I think. Yeah. Like, what does this mean for humanity to cross over to the year 2000 into a new century? And the Y2K bug was looming, and which ended up being nothing. And then everyone woke up in 2000, and they're like, oh, it's really – time marches on, and it is no different. These are all human constructs that we've put on this thing. Yeah. I, I would just say that I think humanity was was ready for a change because it felt like – we're we're new. We're starting anew. We know that there are a lot of problems in our society. We know there are a lot of problems with our economy, mm-hmm. within the global economy, within local economies, the power structures that exist. The um, we were we were aware. We have been as a society for a long time aware that there's this um, issue of of lack of power for most people and massive power for a tiny, tiny few. Yeah. And it's been, you know, we, we all know it. Yeah. We all just kind of live our lives. Yep. And we, most of us don't have any real power. We pretend like voting is, sorry, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but. No, I know. You know, it is a, voting is a wonderful um, uh, privilege that we have, that sure. we are able to cast our vote and, and use our voice and all of that. But in the end, the way the system really works, when you look at the whole thing, right. we have a certain number of choices. Yeah. And and those choices are largely decided for us. Yeah. And even what we get, like I've had friends that worked on Capitol Hill and the true insider stuff is just like frightening. You don't even see this stuff on TV and in the news. Like what really goes on and how things are really decided it's all the corporations. It's all, and I'm not being Mr. I know tinfoil hat guy, but I mean that's just the reality of it. The yeah. lobby, the corporate lobby, is so massive. It's just humans, regular humans, can't change that. So 
at 48 years old, what I've decided is to like take my little small world and my little small piece of it and do as as good as I can and do good things yes. in, in my house, on my block, in my community and try and make a difference in little tiny ways like in the square mile around me. That is so awesome, dude. <laughs> you know? Have, have you ever thought about running for like – no city council or like a like low no seriously I can can, no. can hey everybody listening can you imagine no. if Chuck <laughs> got to make the decisions about what roads got to go where in a small town no I get self righteous too everyone it's just I would get corrupted <laughs> Tyler's words coming out of my mouth and I used to be such a nice guy yes oh I remember that such a great scene with the boss and that's one that I that we'll look at now and think. That's kind of great when he when he manipulates his way out of a job, out of going to work. Yes. But takes all the money and all the stuff and the airline coupons. That's one where I was still like, oh, that's pretty great. Yeah. And funny. Oh, for sure. Just that look, the look on the boss's face when the other employees open the door and he's standing there with, with his hands are all bloody and yeah. the narrator is just completely messed up. And that's, that's when the – that's sort of the last thing he has – to lose to in order to move forward. Yeah. Because he's he lost his apartment at the beginning. He lost uh he's he's losing a sense of himself the whole time. Mm-hmm. But the final thing, the final sort of piece, like he's he's losing all these material things. Yeah. And the final piece to his regular life is that job. Yeah. Like he's got to lose that. Well, it's one of the most important things because it's the only place where where the narrator has to be. Like it's the mm-hmm. only thing on his schedule is to be at work from this time and be to this normal. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Now he is free to be Tyler whenever. whenever. And that's when things really ramp up with Project Mayhem. Mm-hmm. And that's where it changes for me now uh, mentally to where I'm like, yeah, this isn't Robin Hood any mm-hmm. longer. Like mm-hmm. this is a full-blown terrorist group. Yeah. Is what's happening in front of my eyes. And I didn't see it that way back then. You know, yeah, blow, no. blow up, the, blow up the buildings, <laughs> and now all I can think of is like, how many people were hurt and killed? Well, yeah, I know when and those buildings came down, <laughs> and they made it, they make it such a big deal of you know these are all our people, all the all the working class people who were in those buildings. We got everybody out, and it's fine, right? Right. At least they say that. Yeah. And then they blow up just blocks. Yeah. Blocks of buildings. I mean, I, th- I thought the same thing when I saw that Superman movie and they destroyed the city metropolis in that big fight scene in the end. All I could think about was all those people that are dying because of this and like Superman is the cause. Yeah. <laughs> or at least a, a willing participant. Uh, Superman was retroactively saving everybody after the oh, buildings yeah? came down. Yeah, he reconstructed <laughs> the – he could do anything. It's good. I will say though that this third act – like – Obviously, the surprise is you can only experience that once. Yep. The big reveal. And it, it was mind-blowing when we all saw it for the first time. The second viewing is so exciting because you get to go back and look at all that stuff like we were talking about. Yes. Um, and seeing it now, like that is uh, – you can still delight, I think, in some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. The surprise isn't there, but like I, I, watching it today, I was like – it was really cool, that part where he finally gets that guy in the bar. That's exactly what I wanted to talk with, about. With the head cage. Yes. And he goes, you're Mr. Durden. You're the one who gave me this. And he shows Dude. him his scar. 
And <laughs> please return your seat back to its upright and locked position. We've yeah. just lost cabin pressure. <laughs> yes. It was great. Oh, my God. It's so great. And, and I actually wrote the whole thing out because it's um, – we don't have to do this whole thing. But just the fact that he walked in – you know, you're going through this montage of him going to all these places. Sure. And he's saying – It's becoming um, more and more clear. Yeah. He's like, was I asleep? Had I slept? Is Tyler my bad dream or am I Tyler's? Right. Um, I was living in a state of perpetual deja vu. Everywhere I went, I felt I'd already been there. Yeah. It was like I was following the invisible man. I was always just one step behind Tyler. Then he walks into that place. Yeah. And they're saying, his name was Robert Paulson. Yeah, yeah. His name. And he's like, <laughs> wait, what the hell? And that dude just like, oh, welcome back, sir. How you been? Yeah. Have we and met? Does your thing. Yeah. Oh, dude. It's like, uh, is this a test, sir? It holds up, man. <laughs> it was, it was, it was cool. I mean, it's one of the great twists. <laughs> In yeah. movie history, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's up there, and I, uh, I I didn't see it coming the first time. I remember distinctly, and as it was sort of building toward this, I don't remember if I was thinking like, oh, "Wait, is he him?" Yeah. I think I was just so in in the movie, yeah, that I was just letting it happen for me. Oh yeah, I wasn't trying to figure it out. You, you, no, I because I, I when you're, you're doing right. that, you're not watching the film anymore. Yeah, in the moment you're. The stakes are so high that exist outside of whether or not he's Tyler Durden. Yeah. You don't really care. At least for me, that's how it was. Because right. you're like, oh, my God, all these – what are they doing with all that soap? Those are explosives. Oh, God, he's trying. <laughs> he's finding all these things. Wait, why is he doing – you know. Yeah. You're thinking about all that stuff and they're giving you pieces of all that while they're telling you on the face if you know yeah. what's going on, I'm Tyler Durden. I'm Tyler Durden. Yeah. Like, literally through the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. I mean it's all over the place. <laughs> Once you go back and start looking yeah. at it. And I was noticing even more and more things like at this this 30th viewing or whatever it was. Yes. Um, but I'm still not sure about the scene where he explains everything at the end. I didn't hate it, but I think what I would like to see is a version without it because I don't think it would suffer. Wait, is it just the scene – is it just the scene where Tyler appears in the hotel room? Yep. Just okay. that scene where Got he's it. going – it was me, you were me yeah. all along. Like, I just don't think it needs it. Or at least like to test it out and see if that was gone if you miss it. Yeah. But then you would miss that one shot where where the narrator is having a beer on the curb and he's he's like, oh, yeah, that's really great. And he hands the beer over and just it just falls on the ground. I don't love that now. You still love that, <laughs> don't you? Love yeah, that's all right. <laughs> And also, I love I love that first fight that he has with Tyler when he's out yeah. when he's out in that bar, and then a bunch of those guys. It's not the first fight, but it's one of the times where he's fighting uh-huh. out in the parking lot, and those guys. Um, what do they say? Those guys come out, and they're just like, "What do we have here?" Oh, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. they just walk over to him, and you think like, "Sure." Like, why are these two guys fighting? Yeah. But in their reality, it's like, what the hell is this guy doing out here by himself? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really funny. Makes me I didn't happy. think about that. Uh, and then, you know, that last that last scene is, is truly great. Uh, you know, the only way out of there is to put that gun in his mouth. Yep. Or at least that's what he a, as far thinks. as the film is concerned. Um, or at least that realization that, you know, Tyler's holding a gun. Wait, no, the gun's in my hand. Right. Like, that was cool. And that last line, he says, you know, he's like, I want you to listen or whatever. He goes, my eyes are open. He shoots himself. And then Brad Pitt, I forgot about the line. Yes. He just goes, what's that smell? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, your, it's your brains. God. And the smoke 
coming out of his mouth and all that stuff was really well done, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, and, the, and everybody, um, all the other Project Mayhem guys show up and they see yeah. him like that. Yeah. And as they're getting on the elevator, they're like, I can't believe he's standing. That's one tough motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the great last lines in movie history, I think, is uh, you met me at a very strange time in my life. It's great. Oh, my God. All right. Still holds up. So I wrote, can I just uh, tell you the very end? Remember last time I, it was just my reaction? We both did sure. it, our yeah, reactions yeah. to the end. What's yours? Okay. Um, this is what I've got. Who did this? I did, actually. <laughs> Find some gauze. You shot yourself? Yes, but it's okay. I, I'm really okay. Trust me. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Pixies. Yeah. Holding hands. Buildings fall. You met me at a very strange time in my life. With your feet in the air and your head on the ground. Try this trick in this minute. Yeah. Uh, Your head will collapse if there's nothing in it. And you'll ask yourself, nice big cock. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, that that final (laughs) subliminal uh, dick pic. Yeah. (laughs) Where's my mind? That's that's the uh, sequence there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But we didn't even talk about Tyler showing up in – in those quick little flashes, like a couple of frames throughout the movie and the yeah, I mean he did it, it very early on. Yeah, there's one. The, I, I didn't catch any of those the first time I saw it. Oh no, and I don't, I don't think you're meant to, but it's just. But now it's funny. Like maybe you're looking for them mm-hmm. in your subconscious or something. It's like by the copier when they're at the, a meeting. He's standing there in yep. his red jacket. There's yeah. a whole bunch of those, and then they immediately take you to the. To the uh, or not immediately, but you get the backstory of Tyler, and they explain the whole thing of you know reels and a yeah he works in that was pretty cool too. Well, and that's another technology that yeah, is that's no longer. Uh, I miss those cigarette burns. I know, and I remember after that movie, I'd always sort of notice them here and there, but after Fight Club, I'd like was obsessed with seeing those little doots oh dear. pop up on the screen. Yes, and it got to the point where it bugged me. I was like, God damn it. Like now all I can do is sit there and look for that stupid red dot or not red dot, but the circle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh. Uh, overall, I know we're getting uh, up to time here. Um, o- overall, I really, really still appreciate this movie because – and maybe it's just because it's nostalgia at this point and because there are some really cool moments. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I still think it's a great film. I don't know how many more times I want to see it now though. Agreed. You know, like that might have been my last Fight Club. Until my son's old <laughs> enough to, so I can be like, look, let's watch this for a reason. We'll take notes. Uh, it's a learning experience, son. We'll talk afterwards. Yeah. When are you going to show him? Uh, I mean, he'll have to – he'll have to ask – no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the rules are going to be yet. He's four. He's got some time. Yeah, I don't know if I want my daughter to ever see Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You're right. Maybe we- – Maybe we really shouldn't. Oh, oh well. God. Maybe or maybe we should talk quickly before we're done here about what we should do next. Oh, okay. Because we were doing hit movies with Maddie, but now I'm thinking, like, should we just go through 1999? I know, dude. I know. There's so many good ones in there. I mean, I'm looking at the list. There's Three Kings. Yeah. Uh, Blair Witch. We've done Being Bitten John Malkovich. Yeah. Um, or actually, no, we didn't. We did uh, Adaptation. Oh, you haven't done Being John Malkovich? No, Sixth Sense, American Beauty, Office Space, Phantom Menace, American Pie, Eyes Wide Shut. I, I've got Did Eyes Wide Shut. I've got a couple weird ones. I just want to see how you react to these. They're not 1999. All right. Well, just thought, have you been thinking about films? Yes. All right. Yeah. Let's hear it. Um, 
I don't know if anybody actually loves this movie as much as I did. Okay. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me? <laughs> you didn't like it? Okay. Team America World Police. No. <laughs> yeah, I never saw Team America. You believe <gasps> that? I know, right? Would you? I never saw it. Would you watch it for, for me? Is there enough to dig into? Like, that's why, I, like, Austin Powers, I loved Austin Powers. I'm just trying to think if that's... You're right. You're right. If there's enough meat on that bone. Yeah, there's not. Or there's if it's not. just us sitting here and giggling and talking about our favorite lines. Oh, you're right. And doing okay. a bad Austin Powers impression. Oh, God. Most of those, you're right. You've done The Sixth Sense, right? No. I would do The Sixth Sense all day. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, have you done that? I've never seen it. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Tree of Life. Uh, have not done that. That one's kind of a little slow for people. Whiplash? Oh, God, I love that movie. I would do Whiplash just because I'm a drummer and, like, it hit me hard. Well, I I haven't seen that since I saw it the first time, and I loved that movie. Mm-hmm. We'll, 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 we'll figure out one. Those are some great okay. ideas. I think in that is for sure the next couple. Okay. I got you. We'll see if we can get you in here before the end of the year for one more. Oh, sure. It's early October. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll do at least one more before the end of the year. Uh, Galaxy Quest is also in there. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are getting a peek into Maddie's brain. <laughs> I'm just looking at all these, these your movies. your favorite movies. If Fight Club is 54 and above it is Cruel Intentions. Fight uh, Club is what? Fight Club is number 54 in the highest grossing movie movies of 1999. I liked Cruel Intentions. Oh, me too. It's one of my uh, – I don't even know if I call it a guilty pleasure. Oh, shit. What? Pokemon, the first movie. Don't know anything about Pokemon. All right. Well, Bowfinger is in there too, by the way. Mm, I liked Bowfinger. I think we'll just keep doing this as the <laughs> episode fades out into nothing. All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Maddie. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, looking forward to hearing what people think about Fight Club at, at 20 uh, compared to what they thought about it back then. So Agreed. chime in. We want to hear from you. Good day. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Dear Young Rocker is more than just a podcast about music. It's a memoir of how it feels to survive high school when you don't fit in and the freeing feeling of picking up a guitar for the first time. It's also advice for anyone who is or was young and has ever felt weird or alone. Dear Young Rocker is written and narrated by me, Chelsea Erson, executive produced by Jake Brennan, and comes to you from Double Elvis Productions. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Ron Burgundy, and you are listening to my voice, which commands trust and respect. Guess what? My podcast is back, and that's a win for everyone. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you probably already know the deal. Each week, I bring you hard-hitting journalism and also light entertainment. I contain multitudes. Find the Ron Burgundy Podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.